Okay, good afternoon, my love. Hello. You look absolutely ravishing today. Oh, love. But I need to ask a question before we begin. You You just told me before we we hit the, uh, what do they call it, the airwaves here. It's Mm -hmm. not an airwave when you just podcast. It's just electronics, (laughs) right? Uh, The internet. Yeah. The intranet. <laughs> remember when we were, we were young? It's like, I'm going to go online to the internet. The internet. Uh, yeah. Dial up. So, the dial up. <laughs> you said right before we got on here, you said that you are you really love coffee oh, and not. gum. Can you explain that? Coffee and gum. I've never oh, heard that in my whole life. How do you like you coffee totally and gum? Like, me. how do you do them together? I like putting a piece of gum in my mouth okay. before I drink my coffee. Before you drink your coffee? Yes. What do you, then you spit it out or just leave it in there? And... No, I just hey. like... Okay. Yeah. You don't get coffee breath. That's good. <laughs> All right. Anyway, you look oh. ravishing today. Well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I praise God that he would allow us to see one another in love tinted glasses oh. 18 years later. You could have just said thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I feel bad for Ethan. I know. This has got to be hard. It's Sitting like in a every broom closet hearing nightmare. mom and dad talk about romance. <laughs> like, he's like, no, he's oh, been messed up for life. I know. Well, good afternoon to our day. Hello, right everyone. We are excited to dig in for Valentine's Day pod number two, mm-hmm. the final nine true love traits. And we'll be answering your questions at the end, you as ready? promised. Oh, I'm ready. I jumped the gun. You ready? I'm ready. Ethan, ready? Let's roll. <laughs> Okay, just in case you missed Valentine's Day episode one, here's a quick review. We started by sharing how the world has kind of biffed it up. (laughs) Biffed? 1995 (laughs) has messed up the definition of love uh, to the point that most people have kind of, we called it a rom-com view of love that's based in feelings, fun, or physicality. So if you missed that one, give it a listen. We jumped after that into 1 Corinthians 13, listing out the 13 true love traits. Um, we started off with the first nine or first four. Tried to share a story or antidote with each one. And I think, yeah, I think we only hit four. Yes. And we only made it through the first four. So this pod... <laughs> Did we make it through the first four? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think four we times. said it enough. <laughs> so Should we, we review the first four? <laughs> <laughs> so I think we are going to blast through the remaining yeah. nine and then answer a few of your questions. Yeah. So true love trait number one, in case you missed it, was patience. True love trait number two was kindness. Number three was being jealous. And number four was not bragging or being arrogant. And then I found a special button for this episode. Yes. That love and fear. So fun to sing that song. Okay. <laughs> So here we go. Love trait number five is interesting because it's not something we hear talked about much, but it actually can destroy relationships and often does. Should we share a story first? I actually would say on this one, let's share and explain first so people understand. Um, and then we can maybe share. Love trait number five from 1 Corinthians thirteen five. okay, is love is not rude. And here's why I would say I want to be careful on the story thing. The word rude is not really a helpful English translation because the Greek word is more explanative than our modern word rude. I think a better modern word would be like indecently, where even you could press that over to something like creepy Mm -hmm. because it can carry the idea of shameful, naked, or lewd behavior. So this would be a warning against suggestive behavior. Yeah, and that's why it's important we highlight this, that true love leaves no room for sexually suggestive or crude behavior. And that's why we're going to hold off on a story for this Yeah, we all, I mean, everyone's heard the stories, and sadly, you know, there's stories that make the papers. Um, I mean, famous names, presidents, Hollywood stars, even pastors who've been plagued by scandal because of things they've said or done. Um, And we can recognize it. It doesn't 
only destroy a marriage, but also a family, a reputation, and even a future. So let's keep it at that. True love doesn't do creepy. Amen. All right. Oh, I get to sing the song again. <laughs> All right. True love trait number six. And I have a story to tell on this one. When the kids were both in diapers, by 5 p.m., I was getting dinner on the table and was dead tired. Mm-hmm. I remember just craving adult conversation. I and by remember. the time you would get home, I didn't have much energy left. And so you'd come home in the evenings, take Ethan from about five to six for playtime at the park. And it was just that time needed to refill. I remember that season very well. I actually remember where I would come home to. I remember taking Ethan for a walk and we didn't have, there was construction, there was no parks. And so we actually would go out to the construction site and he loved the tractors, yes. just climbing on the tractors. Um, but you make me sound way too good. It, t- <laughs> it took me a while before I figured it out. And I remember driving home and I had to actually pray during those early years. Okay, Lord, it's been a tough day. I'm tired. Please give me strength. And I actually would call it to start job number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think your toughest days, correct me if I'm wrong, were the Fridays when yeah. you would, you know, oh, no, no, the toughest days for me, were those Fridays are your best days. You, yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> you would, I, we set it up so you could go out for sanity time um, to Starbucks on Friday for like two hours just to get away from the kids, to have coffee, to look at your kind of life scheduling. Um, but then I had both kids for, for that time. And I always thought, how does she do this? Um, this is, one time I'll tell the story real quick. I developed a divide and conquer plan <laughs> because we can't multitask as guys. And so I put each of the kids in their separate room and Ethan was in his crib and Peyton was in that little swing thing. You know, like it rocks you back and forth and has music that plays. And Ethan needed a diaper change. And so I ran over there to do that. And then I heard Peyton scream into high heaven and I ran over and she had somehow flipped over, but she was still hanging by the buckle and she was like literally hanging by one leg in that rock and swing. You did not even tell me <laughs> that know. for like 10 years. I did not tell you for a long time. <laughs> anyway, all that to say, true love trait number six, love does not seek its own. And this is fundamentally backwards uh, from why the world gets married and why the world, end quote, is in relationship. It is. The rom-coms tell us to marry because the other person makes us feel so good. But biblical love isn't about how I feel, but how the spouse feels. It's about Mm -hmm. giving, not taking. And when we arrive home from work or after a long day with the kids, we often feel tired, run down, selfishly want our spouse to shower us with affection and relaxation. And when that doesn't happen, our expectations breed frustration. Mm. It's actually been a long day for me today. So tonight I expect some relaxation and some care. Oh, you know. love. Are you willing to do that? You got it. Yeah. It's vital that we not demand from our spouse, <laughs> <laughs> but look always to seek their own good. <laughs> okay. Well, have you ever met someone who is overly sensitive? Is that a trick question? Mm, kind of. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't think of anyone. You, can you think of anyone? <laughs> okay, quick story. When we were first married and uh, Tone was interning at church and working for an automotive engineering firm, and you wanted to get me a good birthday present, you asked one of the women at work that was um, just one of those aggressive women. <laughs> I do not remember that part of the story. I do not remember that at all, honestly. <laughs> And I remember getting the gift and you were so proud. And then you mentioned that girl's name and I was just like, oh, I couldn't even talk for the rest of the (laughs) night. I was so entrapped in my sin. That's why I'm never going to get you another present. I'm not risking my (laughs) life to get you presents. Okay. Seriously though, in the early days, I was really touchy and I'm thankful 
helpful for your patient. I feel you. I had my issues too, like hairspray and clothes. Mm, which leads us right next to love trait number seven. Love is not easily, easily provoked. provoked. And we all do this where we explode over little things, but completely ignore the good things or filter out the value and make our spouse walk on eggshells. Yeah, and sadly, we see that in a, a lot in the counseling office where people will come in and talk to me or to Bree and their spouses, they're like living on a hair trigger and the home is a series of skirmishes or like little landmines and everything's always ready to go off with just one bad look, one bad comment, one one tiny mistake. Yes, but biblical love matures beyond the little stuff and gives grace. So even when there's a mistake and a temptation to fire a verbal bullet, I guess we can say, mm-hmm. we wait, don't make assumptions and reflect on all the good qualities of our spouse and what God wants and respond slowly. Yes, and do not hairspray close. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, hey, let's go ahead and move on to love trait number seven. All right. And then we'll naturally do love trait number eight because they build on one another. Okay. So should we share a story? Yeah. First. Okay. Love trait number eight is keeping no record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. And I know you have a story about this one. So I I do. One that comes to mind is actually fairly recent. I was in a counseling session where a woman came in with a notepad. And began to read a list of offenses that her husband had made, which is that that's pretty normal when you start in your first session. Um, and then when I thought that she was the world's best record keeper, her husband chimed in and he didn't even have a notepad. He just began listing all her issues from memory. And this went back and forth over the course, get this, of multiple churches, multiple counselors for like 10 years. He was able to remember just hundreds of things. I don't, I'm exaggerating. That's hyperbolic, but he was able to remember dozens of things that she had done wrong. And it was clear that they had both spent more time memorizing each other's issues than the Bible. And isn't that just where our unredeemed flesh lives yep. in that private place of indebted, building a little rap sheet of crimes? Totally. But that's exactly the opposite of biblical love. That's what we're talking about. No record of wrongs. For starters, because the Lord forgave us our rap sheet, removing our sins as far as east from the west. And then he calls us to do the exact same. Amen. We were just reading that in our church Bible plan where that the man owes the king millions of dollars but can't pay. Mm, So he begs and pleads and the king shows mercy, but then he immediately goes out, grabs his servant who owes him a few dollars and begins choking him. And Jesus makes the point, if you've been forgiven such grievous sin by God, why spend your life keeping tabs on minor human transgression? Mm, Beautiful. Okay. Love trait number nine Are we at number nine? Is that the right number? I believe so. Eight, nine. Okay. This is why you do the the money and the budget here. (laughs) Okay. Love trait number nine is kind of a summary statement. Let's see here. That has four descriptors underneath. So let's give this one briefly as a standalone, and then we'll kind of color in the lines with the sub points. Okay. Yes. Love trait number nine is love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but does does rejoice rejoice in in truth. truth. The simplest way to understand this one, and again, the the next four will build on this. The simplest way to understand this one is that in every relationship and everybody listening, wherever you are around the world, we all are in the same boat here. There's going to be some good and there's going to be some bad. And love is going to choose to focus on the good and not the bad. All right. So that's the foundation here that Paul's talking about. And so he's going to build atop that. And we're going to call these number 10, 11, 12, and 13. And we'll just kind of do them rapid fire. All right. Number 10 is one of my favorites because in this one, God is saying, there's nothing love can't handle. And I pray every newlywed listening grabs onto this. Biblical love 
can endure whatever God allows into mm-hmm. our lives without exception. And it can even make our relationship stronger in the midst of grief and trouble. Amen. Love trait number 10, you ready, is love bears, bears all things. And the idea being that love will stick it out through thick and thin, when it's easy or tough, when feelings are reciprocated or when they're not. And this is where we get into the nuts and bolts of what's often called agape love. Yes. And I'll tell the story. I remember you did this for me after Zeke was born and my health declined. I lost weight. I was often in bed. I could barely eat or travel. And you worked with your dad on getting us different insurance. You cared for the kiddos. You went with me to the doctors to advocate for me and even wrote them letters um, asking that they fulfill their Hippocratic Oath. And I wasn't always able to reciprocate often, actually. I was not able to reciprocate. Well, you're too kind. You, you've, you've always been sacrificial. But it, it never felt to me like sacrifice because you would have done the same if I was in that position. And I think that's actually what Paul's beginning to get out there. We never know in a marriage who's going to go down first. Right, But we do know one of us is going to go first because it's a fallen world. So it's either the return of Christ, a car accident, or slow terminal illness. Right, It's not if someone's going to die or get sick, it's when. So as a couple, we need to both be ready and fulfill our wedding day commitment that says, till death do we part, until death we do part. And I think that actually is, is building, it's a perfect setup for love trait number 11. Okay, number 11 is a beautiful one. Love believes all things. And I think in counseling, this is why so many uh, struggle because they've stopped believing the best of their husband as if they've been burned too many times and have just shut down or lost all hope. Yeah, and I've been in those sessions too, and I'd say that's true of husbands towards wives. I remember one where the wife was talking and her husband was tapping his foot and crossing his arms and the body language was saying, he actually turned, he scooted over away from her in his seat and started looking out the opposite window while she was talking. And she keeps going on and on and on. And suddenly he lost it. And he started yelling. It, it, it's all a lie. It's garbage. She says the same thing. Wow, wow, wow. But she'll never change. And I actually had to pause him and, and have her step out and then talked with him one-on-one. But to me, it was like the quintessential example of a couple who'd hurt each other so much the hearts were hard and they had lost all hope. Mm-hmm. And I remember times where you and I were close. There were times during the early diaper years where we both had put up really Well, we were close walls. to that as well. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. And I'm glad yeah. you used the word high walls because that's what man-centered psychology does. It teaches people protection mechanisms. You know, when we talk about you know, love believes all things. It doesn't put up the walls. It doesn't put up the protections. It actually just keeps believing that God's going to do something. Mm. Um, and I was literally just talking to an unbeliever at the store last week, and she was explaining, you know, the counsel she got from her therapist after her boyfriend left her. And it was so off the mark. I, I wanted to explode. It was just bad advice. It was all about walls and defenses and her victimhood. And, and actually, the therapist said, you know, he actually lost sanity for a moment. And it was nothing about the heart issues that prompted it, including her own poor choices. And so it was just zero truth for her to hold on to other than to make her feel better about herself. And it was the exact opposite of true love. Yeah. And putting up walls of defense feels like the right thing. And it's true that when there's been a lot of hurt, it's really hard to believe the best. And it may take real time to restore full relationship, but that's what true love is. Tearing down walls, believing in God's work to transform ourselves and our spouse. Amen. 
Okay, rapid fire love trait number 12. Love hopes hopes all all things. things. And I think this one gets increasingly more important as we age because in the early stages, we have all these blue sky dreams about marriage, a house, two kids, a pup named Spot. (laughs) Real life hits. (laughs) And real life hits. Yes. It only takes a couple weeks of marriage for a couple to see the subsurface cracks in their spouse. You know, I'm... I'm always fascinated how quick it happens too as a pastor because I'll do the premarital and then we'll you know, get married and it's beautiful and everyone's through the roof on cloud nine. And then literally like the Sunday after the honeymoon, I look on their face when they walk up to church and it's like real life just hit. I mean, yes. it's boom. Yes. And it's finances, it's romance didn't kind of go as expected, their first real fight, role confusion, a hidden sin, whatever. It's just, it literally, life smacks you in the face. What I'm always intrigued by too is how the enemy is constantly dangling the carrot of discontent. So mm-hmm. from the time time that we're young, you know, we think, oh, when I get to be in junior high, then I'm really our teenager, then I'm really going to enjoy my life. And then if I just get to college, I'll really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a car. I'm going to be free and independent from my parents. If I can just get married and if I can just have a, a home and if I can just have children and if I can just travel and then if I can just retire. And what we realize is the enemy is holding the carrot stick out in front of us our whole life, the carrot stick of discontent. Mm-hmm. We get to the very end and we realize I never enjoyed one moment. Yes. I never lived. Yes. And so I, you see that on the the face of these couples totally because they walk into church and they had put all their hopes on this thing called marriage and they're realizing no this isn't it this wasn't about my happiness this is actually another layer of god's perfecting holiness or sanctifying holiness in my life amen i love how thomas watson says that discontentment is at the root of every Mm. um issue a lot of times we think pride or selfishness but he he comes back to say discontentment i was like oh that's good so just thomas watson's got to be right (laughs) um but I, I remember that for us too, coming back from our honeymoon. And that's why hope is so important as hope. we age. Yep. The idea that God does have a plan for our relationship. And even when it's not all we thought it was going to be, it still is what God has planned it to be. Absolutely. Do you remember the, uh, I love you, but I don't like you? Oh, night? I do. <laughs> we were sitting near the bathroom and just staring at each other in another um, fight because you were super busy leading college ministry. And I was at home with the kiddos when Ethan and Peyton were still in diapers. And And Ethan had pooed all over his room (laughs) that morning. And and he, and and I peeked in, I peeked in and I saw it and I closed the door. I literally got up before you and I, and I, and I smelled it and I looked in the door (laughs) and I saw the Picasso brown all over the wall (laughs) and I just quietly closed the door and I went to work. Oh yes. And we just stared at one another kind of broken, like we're not going to leave, but this isn't fun. And you said, I do not love you. I I do love you, but I I don't like you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, don't be. I I fired right back. I don't like you either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hey, disclaimer here. We're not recommending words like that, okay? Right. That was an epic failure on my part. First, to have led my wife to the breaking point, but second, to have been so unkind to her as well. But that's where hope is essential. In those really tough times, knowing our Lord is greater than us, and even when we can't see through the haze of the battle, He will carry us to the victory victory on the other side. side. Okay, we made it. Number 13, I'm going to let you do the honors on this one. Okay, love trait number 13, love endures all things. And this builds on the former where we may reach the point we don't want to bear, don't believe, and can't even hope. So Paul says true love will when even necessary, just endure. Yeah. And endure is a strong word. And I pray everybody listening, 
um, who's married never gets to this point, but it does happen. It can happen through sin or chronic illness or financial disaster, whatever it is, where you're just broken. And as a couple, you simply must endure because that's what love does. Amen. I just read a fascinating story on this by uh, B.B. Warfield. Uh, Everyone kind of knows him as one of the great Reformed theologians uh, from old Princeton. But the story um, about this was that at Princeton, he wasn't as known when he was teaching for his theology, um, but how much his life had impacted them um, because of his love for Annie, his wife. Um, The story goes, they were on his, their honeymoon, and I think it was in the mountains of Germany, and she was struck by lightning, which, I mean, you know, we always say, what are the odds of being struck by lightning? And she was hit, and she went invalid. And so imagine, you get married, all those dreams we were talking about, and then boom, they all are dashed. And so then he came back to teach, and in the mornings, he would show up for two, three hours at the school, he would teach, and then he would take off early and go home, and then he'd walk across campus and take her out in the front yard of their little house, and he would walk her back and forth along that little um, sidewalk there in front of their house to give her her exercise, and she couldn't even talk. And the students saw those walks. They saw him go home every couple hours to take his wife and care for her, this brilliant man and his broken wife, and it just transformed their view of what it meant to be a godly man. Wow. Yeah, and that's what Paul is saying here. Joyful endurance. You got to finish strong. You know, heaven's coming, and the Lord will ask we each give an account for our life, including how we selflessly loved our spouse. And we do that because of how Christ loved us. Absolutely. For God so loved the world, listen to this, that he gave his only son. Notice how John connects. He actually connects love and giving. Love is giving. So by walking down the aisle, what we're saying is there's no one on earth I'd rather give to than this this person right here. Mm-hmm. Or I can't imagine sacrificing for any more uh, than for this person right here. That's true love. And that's how marriages last. This is the one I'm going to ultimately give to. This is the one I'm going to ultimately sacrifice for. Mm. Now, can you think of any steps a couple can take who wants to reorient their I, love? I can. I think if you take all this that we talked about in the last two podcasts and you, you try to boil it down to a simple key to true love, it's just focus. Focusing less on getting and more on giving. Because remember, we talked about the world's false rom-com view is your feelings, your physicality, and your fun. That's all getting. But we just learned that true love is giving. So I'd say sit down, write out two, three ways you can sacrifice for your spouse this next week, and then get started and live it out. Amen. And what you'll find is the more you practice selfless giving, then the more we will you know, find our feelings follow, and the stronger our relationships will become. It's kind of like a snowball. Amen. Okay, so we promised to answer a few Valentine's Day questions, and now that we've wrapped up 1 Corinthians 13, or part of it, um, I've got them here. How about I read them and you answer them? That sounds great. Let's do that. <laughs> this is from Handle TJ Suff asking, y'all have Handle some... TJ Suff? Is that what it says? Oh, her handle is TJ Suff. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> that was her name, Handle TJ Suff. <laughs> um, saying, y'all have so much fun together. How do you do that? Get old. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I mean, at the end of the day, the more battles you fight and you kind of hold on through together, the better marriage becomes because you realize this is my teammate and after the kids leave, there's nobody else. And when I'm lying in a hospice bed, it's just them. So this is the hand you're going to be holding all the way to heaven. So make it through the early years and it'll just, like I guess a good wine or whatever they say, it'll get better with time. And this is from Handle McCrae's Memories. That sounds right. Looks good to me. McCray's memories. Yes. Getting married in 37 days. How do you hey, balance? Congratulations. A, yes. How do you balance a part-time job and being a wife? 
Oh, you should speak to that. How did we do that with real estate when you were doing real estate? Well, I did whatever the job required because Tony worked too. I think the only rules we established was one, when kids come, I'd quit as soon as we were able. Two, we'd always align so we had evenings together. And then lastly, Tony always was my first leader, even over my work boss. Amen. Okay, so this is from Handle Melly Samari, who asks how to prioritize marriage when you have little ones. Oh, well, that's actually where date night came from. So Bree and I were, I don't know how many times we told this story, but we were kind of in san- insanity season and uh, Bree never got grown up talk. So we had my mom come babysit and I took her out to talk. Um, one of the older guys in our church said, hey, don't just use date nights for all the fluff. Talk calendar, cash and convictions. Um, and so we made a little investment. I think it was 200 bucks a month, you know, to t- go out and then have a babysitter and it changed everything. So find a parent, church friend or hire a sitter. Um, go out and get a cheap burger and then try to game plan. If you do that, I think two times a month, I mean, worst case scenario, once a month, it'll bring some level of priority uh, to your marriage. Awesome. We will list this one as anonymous. It says, do you have any tips for intimacy during pregnancy when nausea is a constant? Sure. I would say go back and listen to the two lovemaking pods that we did. And basically what it'll boil boil down to is you and your hubby sit down and get honest as you may not be able to fully participate for a season. So what other creative means can you guys agree on that will number one, satisfy both your needs and number two, protect either conscience from becoming pinched? Here's another anonymous. In terms of an older teen guy, I think that's the question. Older teen guy. How do you know she's the right one to pursue? Well, I'm assuming this is a teen guy who's saying he's trying to figure out who the right gal is to pursue. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I would say as a teen guy, should you be pursuing anybody? I mean, if you aren't ready to spiritually shepherd, physically protect and financially provide for a young woman, you're only playing games with her heart. So make sure your life's in order and then approach your dad when you've pennies in the bank and put your money where your mouth is. Um, But assuming all that's in order, I would say, number one, look at her family because a lot of her values will come from them. Number two, observe how she responds to mom and dad. If she doesn't listen to them, she's not humble before them. Ultimately, she won't listen to you. And number three is watch uh, the way she serves at church. Because if she's not a humble servant at church, then she's still self-absorbed and has a ton of maturing to do. Okay, last one from Handle Dear Jerry, she says. Who asks? Handle Dear Jerry? (laughs) (laughs) Is that right? I think so. It's just funny. Handle Dear Jerry. Jerry. I'm not very good at this. Should I feel guilty for learning theology that my husband hasn't studied yet? No, 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 no. You keep learning. Don't feel guilty, but don't become a dripping faucet. Just be super positive, telling them all the life-changing things that you're learning, and then patiently pray for him and leave good books around, you know, the coffee table that you're reading. Um, The reality is 1 Peter 3 is your changed life and respectfulness as a wife is one of God's paths that will transform him. Amen. Well, this was a fun couple episodes. I had so much fun. They were better than any rom-com. Hey, it's like telling our old stories, you know? It's really fun. It's like old people sitting on the porch. I remember back when uh, me and Misha and your mother met. A couple folders in our hands. That's right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we place our friends and family before you. Please open all of our hearts to a greater understanding of your love in Christ and help us to take his model and then begin living it out in our homes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, date night fam, as always, thanks to Ethan, our producer, the blessed people of Mission Bible. We'll hang again in 160 hours. Keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family.